Sepsis, or the infection causing sepsis, starts before a patient goes to the hospital in nearly 87% of cases. Sepsis is a medical emergency. If you or your loved one has an infection that's not getting better or is getting worse, act fast. Get medical care immediately. Ask your healthcare professional, could this infection be leading to sepsis? And if you should go to the emergency room, learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. Welcome to the Out of Limits of New Truth Radio Show, OutOfLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. It's great to be back, and I guess the question I have to you is, do you ever get angry once in a while? Do you get angry all the time? Right now in our culture, people say, ah, anger is so bad, don't want to be angry, it's very bad for you, especially the New Age movement. It's your aura, don't tarnish your aura with anger. I think if you're angry all the time and throwing temper tantrums, if you don't get enough napkins at McDonald's, I can see there being an issue. But I think that there's not enough justifiable anger. Anger, like righteous anger. Anger to be upset because you demand more to yourself. You know you can do better. You're pissed off at yourself. You're pissed off at the people around you in the world, knowing that the world could be better. People just did more or more where. And our featured guest this evening... I think he's awesome. And I don't understand all of his beliefs and all the things he's teaching and talking about, but I feel that I understand why he's upset at the core of that anger. And I think that the anger that this gentleman has is something that all of us can have. Maybe all of us should have a little bit inside because when we have an anger and we can utilize it, utilize it as an energy source and change ourselves and the world for good, then I think it is something that is helpful. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Lee Camp. He's a stand-up comedian, writer, actor, and activist. He's host of the weekly comedy and TV news show called Redacted Tonight with Lee Camp and RT America. Do more about him by going to his website at leecamp.com. Mr. Camp, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, I discovered you a short time ago. And I discovered you because I was watching your show on RT, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And I noticed that you were very pissed off. And I'm listening <laughs> to all the things you were pissed about. And you're like, and this sucks, and this is bad. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, he's mad at all the same people I'm mad at. And it's wonderful. <laughs> and you had all this energy. So were you very passionate. What are you primarily pissed off about? And how does the anger you utilize to convey the message? How does it help you convey the message? Well, first of all, what am I pissed off about? I don't know. Is this, is this uh, interview four hours long? Because we're going to need some time. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, you know, the anger kind of came with the activism. I've been doing stand-up for 20 years, but the first few years were not uh, political, really, at all. And then I, both along with my own awakening and and you know what i consider my true education which came after college when i started reading uh books like chomsky and confessions of an economic hitman and stuff like that uh i you know as i got angrier about what was happening in the world it just you know you you put it onto the stage and then that gets angrier and they kind of just went hand in hand 
And at first, in my kind of early years of comedy, I wasn't almost using any curse words because, uh, for for one thing, I was kind of modeling myself after Seinfeld when I was 18 years old. And the other thing was I had been told by a lot of comedians that, oh, you know, if you're going to – you should only be dirty if you want to really be dirty. Don't be – don't like, if you – you should probably be clean because you get a lot more bookings. And so here I am trying to be, like, clean on stage – and then the angrier I got about the politics, it's just <laughs> the whole – you could just feel the audience was like, this guy really wants to curse, but he's not letting it loose. So <laughs> you let it out. Yeah. Well, I noticed that, you know, based on some of your editorials and what I'm listening to, it's like you're very pro-liberty, passionate about liberty. But I'm wondering, if you were to compare the two reasons to be pissed off, are you more pissed off at the way the system is, the fact that all these things are happening, the fact that our, our liberties are kind of being suppressed and kind of stifled out – or are you more pissed off at the fact that it's happening, people have access to all this information, and yet they're not doing a, a damn thing about it? They're not you know, responding in a way that you would conventionally think that people would respond to if they realized what was happening. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, yes, there is. There's kind of two things that create that have created such a strong hold of of apathy combined with suppression. It's not all apathy. And part of it is spectacle. You know, we have the best entertainment uh, the world has ever seen. You can you can disappear into a world of video games and virtual reality and never come out for, you know, for hours on end. So there, there's, there, there's a level of spectacle that can distract us from the reality uh, stronger than we've ever seen. But And that creates apathy. But I think a lot of the reason people aren't standing up in a bigger way is more that they they we we've been so suppressed and the average american is working so goddamn hard to like just get by to to pay for their you know kids health care or whatever to work at three jobs that they're who is the time to like, go march in the streets or even educate yourself on the issues? Like, and, and it's designed that way. It's working perfectly. The, the more you're enslaved to debt and to trying to survive, the less active you are. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have as much anger towards, like, Americans for not standing up in a stronger way as I have for a system that puts profit above all else. You know whether it's whether it's your health, whether it's your education, whether it's the lives of the people we're bombing. Um, I, I do think it is a system that has that has created this uh, dystopia for a lot of people. One of the rants I love is that you're tearing into this pharmaceutical company that specifically were reading a letter. They wrote a letter to Stockholm saying it's not profitable for us to unveil something that would cure some kind of disease. It's not profitable. We need people to be sicker longer. I forget what it was, but you were specifically reading off these points. It was, it was, it was actually Goldman Sachs oh, telling their, their clients, analyst note. Yeah. Jeez. So when that comes, what was your spiritual awakening? What was your, you said you, you woke up after college started reading books, because I have to say that's exactly what happened to me. I, wasn't, I think I was part of the system. I was, I was doing my own thing, but once I got out of school and started reading on my own, my awakening was accelerated. So what was the, the trigger point for you as far as your awakening goes? And what kind of awakening did you have? Well, I guess it was connected to the Iraq War. And, you know, I I had been slightly politically aware. Like, I knew, I knew that George W. Bush was an idiot, but I didn't – I hadn't really, you know, studied up on the issues and – 
and how the two-party system is is bought and sold, and it's both both sides are at least the the versions that are in Congress are all pro corporate, and you're going to get screwed at the end of the day either way. Um, I, I hadn't really read up on that, but I think the Iraq War made me start to question, well, what are what are we doing and why are we doing it? And then I start watching things like Democracy Now or or various uh, media sources that weren't on your mainstream networks, and they made a lot more sense to me instantly. It made a lot more sense as to why we would invade a country and claim there's WMD when there's no WMD and what are we really doing over there. And, and uh, oh, it turns out that uh, they have all the oil and that they dropped the dollar 16 months before we decided to invade. Oh, that's fascinating once you, once you start studying that stuff that CNN won't mention. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, I think it went along with that. But, you know, one thing I talk about in my stand-up, I'm doing the stand-up tour, and one of the things I'm talking about on the stage is how – a lot of people wake up – the beginnings are something very small. You know, you show them they're being lied to and something very small like expiration dates on food. Most of, it, most of them mean nothing. They're just put there to get you to throw it out and buy new, buy new food. And, and it's like stuff like that or the fact that diamonds aren't really rare. Like you, you hear those things and people start asking more questions because they think, if I was lied to about that, then what else, what else am I being lied to about? Well, do you think it's because some people don't want to go further down the rabbit hole that they're more content with knowing that they're being lied to as opposed to kind of coming to the self-realization that how could I allow myself to be deceived? Do you think that there's a, um, a prevention there, something that, that prevents people because they don't want to walk through that fire? Maybe they don't, mm-hmm. want to know, they don't want to feel like they're being shamed. Just like somebody doesn't want to know that they're wrong. Maybe they, they have the inclination, but maybe they don't, they don't want to accept that fact. Do you think that there's a lot going on with that today? Yeah, yeah. There's a, we as a species have a lot of wonderful psychological tricks to try and get ourselves to not have to deal with painful realities. Uh, you know, everything from rationalization to habituation, getting used to things getting worse. As long as they get worse slowly, we don't realize that we're working, uh, you know, harder at jobs we hate than we've ever worked before. As long as it's happening in in slow motion, which is which is why we may die from you know environmental collapse or climate change because. If as long as it happens slow enough, we'll just let it happen. But in cognitive dissonance, there's a lot of steps that we we use to try and defend ourselves from these things. One of the, uh, one of the funniest uh, analogies of this, um, the philosopher Slavoj Žižek was pointing out that in the film They Live, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper, where he puts on the glasses and he sees the reality, he has this big nine-minute fight. With an, with his friend to try and force him to wear the glasses, and the friend will not wear the glasses that show the reality of the world, and he just refuses. And the fight is ridiculous. Like as a as a movie viewer, you're like, I can't believe these two are still punching each other. What the well, yeah, hell? Yeah, well, they, is, they're the doing professional wrestling moves on concrete. <laughs> yeah, and you're <laughs> like, what's the point of this? And and Zizek pointed out that's that's an analogy for the the struggle that people go through to not want to wake up, to not want to see a horrible reality around them. Ayn Rand has that great quote saying, you can ignore reality, but you you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. What are the consequences, in your opinion, of the people across the U.S. and maybe even the world of ignoring the reality of what is happening, of ignoring, you know, What's going on and not taking action right now to do something about it? 
Well, the, I'd say the the biggest things are environmental collapse and, you know, a form of fascism, a surveillance state that we're already in a surveillance state, but it can certainly keep getting a lot worse, you know. They're already uh, – there are companies, there's one in Wisconsin, there's one in Sweden that uh, – that allow workers to have a chip inserted into their hand that monitors their movements, but, you know, they sell it to them as, oh, it'll open doors, so you can just rub your hand on the doorknob and it opens. You don't have to hold a card anymore. And, you know, they sell it as something positive. But it's like we aren't – it's not, you know, that crazy to say we're five or ten years before everyone has a chip, or even if it's just a chip in your wallet, whatever, but uh, that – that is monitoring all of your movement and and we've invited most of it into our homes that's the, like like if, imagine if 20 years ago someone had said hey the government wants to give you a device that tracks you everywhere and is capable of listening to you at any given time and follows all your financial transactions and everybody would have gone no hell no i'm not doing that but we invited it ourselves they just said oh we'll sell it to you and it'll be called an iphone and everyone goes oh cool <laughs> I think about the history of America when it was first formed, and now some people say, well, you know, it was wonderful that it had all these freedoms. But I, I question the some of the foundation aspects of America because when it was first founded, you, they still butchered Indians. They still suppressed uh, minorities. Also, also you know – also, you know, it was 6% of the population was given the right to vote. It was white land-owning males. So 6, 6% was written into the Constitution as being able to actually have a say in society. But I feel like when America was founded, there were some great things that they put out there. At least they had a system of checks and balances. So the idea that America – I mean, I talked to Ron Paul about it. He's, I'm pretty sure he says that the American experiment has, has failed. But there's some great things that came about it. There was some information that came out that hasn't been done before. I almost feel like the greatest democracy or the greatest um, era of freedom could be upon us. It just has never been fully embraced yet. Do you see that at all, or do you think that we're going to hit some hard tyranny? It's going to take a long time for the um, the love and lust for liberty to emerge in uh, the human culture. Well, I, I think there are some glimmers of hope. Uh, uh, my my friend, uh, who I also do my podcast with, uh, the podcast is called Common Censored, but uh, Eleanor Goldfield has, has embraced uh, hope without optimism, which means there are rays of hope, but that doesn't mean you need to think they're likely. Uh, so... <laughs> So there there are some rays of hope, one of them being this information revolution, which, you know, they are trying to shut down. They're gutting that neutrality and, um, you know, forcing you into tiny little areas of the Internet like Facebook and saying that's the only way to get your information, and then they can control it, and they can uh, shut out everything they call fake news. Well, that's interesting. What do you, who, who are you calling fake news? Oh, well, the, the Washington Post helps us decide what fake news is. Oh, the Washington Post does. Great. Um, so – they're trying to shut it down, but that information revolution is changing everything, and it's changing everything very quickly. Um, and you know, my hope is that kind of the 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 cat is out of the bag in terms of people uh, getting information from outside sources and no longer just going for what's fed to them on the the main three TV channels. Um, and, and if we can continue down that path and not allow everything to be suppressed as they're attempting now, then that is a, a major ray of hope uh and and as that information comes forward i think you're going to see more uniting of uh different different 
areas of the population, segments of the population that perhaps thought they were opposed to each other. For example, you sound like uh, you're likely a libertarian. I'm not, not a libertarian. I'm far left. Uh, but those two things have a lot more in common with each other than the two corporate parties in Congress. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the two corporate parties, I mean, sorry, well, we have a lot more in common with these other than acting like we, we have in common with either of those parties. Because those two parties are lining up for almost all of 80% of the major issues in this country. They're 100% behind all constant war, military state, surveillance state, wall, uh, you know, uh, Wall Street running amok and doing whatever the hell they want, environmental destruction. They're 100% behind all of it. Yet, if you take the number of Americans, whether you call yourself this or call yourself that, who are against a lot or most of that, uh, it's, it's, you know, 80% of America or something like that. So... You know, if we could put our differences aside and unite on a lot of these issues, I think you could see a major change. I hope so. I think one of your recent comments I love on Redacted is that you said, you know, it's kind of interesting. We have this whole Department of War. There's no peace czar. There's no Department of Peace. (laughs) It's not something that we should have out there. But yet if you walk, I think most of the times if you go into a mall, you go into a store, people are generally peaceful. I think peace is right. a lot easier than people think, and war takes a lot of effort. You're going to pump people up, psych them out. Um, I'm wondering why Americans don't um, advocate more peace, because if you look at the country right now, I mean, all these conflicts are happening. It's involved in all these different wars, yet they seem to kind of like let it go, let it slide. I wish they were more involved. I wish they were more outraged by it. I mean, where do you think the level of outrage is in the country right now? Because I feel like in earlier decades, you, know, you mentioned the idea of, okay, you know, People would be overwhelmingly opposed to having the government, you know, monitor their stuff. Now today they're like, well, you know, I have nothing to hide. So I wonder what the hell happened. I really wonder what happened to this. Well, well, one thing is in order to keep people in line, you have to do an immense amount of social engineering that largely centers around fear. If you can just keep people afraid of the great other, whether it be Iran or North Korea or Russia or terrorists in general or ISIS – if you can just say, hey, they're the ones that are going to get you and they're going to destroy your life and they're the ones you need to be afraid of and here's why you need to be afraid, and that's what our mainstream media does all day, every day, then you get people to line up and not ask these other questions, not ask why we're, we're never at peace anymore, not ask why uh, you know, 50% of the population doesn't have uh, enough in their bank account for a $500 emergency, yet you have the richest people to have ever lived in this country. You don't ask those questions when you're afraid um, or just trying to, to secure your food for the next week. Um, and, and so I think it, t- it takes a lot of social engineering to to achieve that. The other thing you were talking about, people are generally peaceful. Part of this has to do with our evolution, I think, as a species, because it, it, we we evolved to have empathy for someone in front of us. Now, that doesn't mean, obviously, that no one ever shoots someone else, but in general, most people, if they see someone hurt or injured, it's a stranger, you know, falls down a few steps, they're going to help them, and they don't want to kill people that they walk up to. Uh, yet, we haven't really evolved to feel as strong empathy for someone getting hit by drone bombs that you read about in a paper, you know, uh, weeks later. And even the guy pushing the button from, a, uh, you know, their offices are in, uh, a lot of them are in Ve- outside Vegas in the desert, and they're pushing buttons 
based on a grainy photo that they can see from a drone in Afghanistan, and they're murdering people that way. And it's tough to even have empathy for that grainy image on the screen. We just haven't evolved to do that. But I do think that as you know, we, we go forward, our brains are kind of moving towards a greater understanding of our impact, even when it's not in front of us. Well, I hope so. And Lee, when my perspective about humanity, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, I'm called bizarre. I am completely against humanity. I always pray that the comet hits the <laughs> earth and wipes humanity. I think it's a shit species. I think humanity sucks. However, I also would offer the hand of peace and love to any human, any nation that they offer to me, and I would do anything I could for an animal. I prefer animals over people any day. But um, as far as so, are you, do you do you view us as a, as a virus that's just uh, waiting to get purged? Yes, absolutely. I think humanity. I think humanity is a, is a, a biological bad batch of cookies from Mother Nature, and that I can't wait for us to be wiped off. I do. I say it all the time. I said because we don't do we don't contribute anything. We don't. We just purge the earth. We harm the earth. We kill each other. And do you think that we've been more evolved in previous years? That humanity has been more peaceful. Or do you think that evolution, theoretically speaking, among humanity is just an illusion? Our evolution is basically, I don't know, dependent upon what kind of stimuli we're getting at any given time. Do you think that humanity has actually evolved over the course of many years? I mean, yeah, I guess it depends on the definition of evolved. We have definitely, you know, changed and grown in certain ways. Um, and I think that there is something philosophically to be said for the pursuit of knowledge. We do have more knowledge of uh, the physical world, the, the world of physics and, and uh, you know, the, the, the cosmos uh, and how things work and the cellular level. We have more knowledge than any species ha has ever had by far on this planet, and I think that's a major achievement. And, and you know, as you've been saying with, like, people are generally peaceful, I, I do wonder whether the biggest negatives of our species are connected to a combination of unfettered capitalism where profit is put on everything, you know, whether it's clean water, you'll, you know, naturally will take clean water away from a child if it means they can get a few more bucks. And, and so when you put profit on everything, then you, you educate people, you, you devolve or whatever towards uh, a destruction of the, the planet and the people in a pretty horrific way. And so if you were to take that template off of the species, it's possible that we could be a much more caring, loving, uh, you know, uh, growing uh, species in that way. And, and along with that is our social engineering to just constantly uh, consume and want and need uh, and, and, and view our self-worth as our bank account. And it takes, it takes a lot of social engineering to make people think that's what matters most in life. They've done an incredible job. I always think that these people that are starting the war, I mean, I feel like they're like pimples on the ass of humanity. They're, they're so small and relevant. If we could just pop them, I think we'd be much better. But unfortunately, they're the ones calling the shots right now. Lee, when I watch you and I watch your passion, I get the impression that um, you're a deep individual. You think very deeply. I'm wondering what some of your spiritual beliefs are. Uh, where do you believe that you – what is your path in life? What is your trajectory? Do you believe in past lives? Do you believe that God is uh, outside of you, that you're part of God? I'm curious what some of your belief patterns are. Well, I hope I don't upset you, but I'm I'm Jewish by birth, but atheist by choice. Okay. So I'm I'm pretty atheist, and uh, and I you know I, I 
I don't my uh, the closest thing I think I feel to spirituality is really just towards other humans uh you know when when you have a deep connection with them or something so I I don't really view things as predetermined as uh you know I was meant for any kind of path or anything I just try and do what my passions are and move towards them and try and leave some sort of small better impact in your wake is kind of the way I view things it didn't upset me at all because I question everything, and it doesn't matter yeah. what, a, what a person's belief on it. So, I mean, if you send the hand of peace and you're trying to do good, how could anyone judge another for that? And how could anyone you know, undermine that or say that that's not right? I mean, the fact that you're actually thinking and doing something different, I almost feel it's great. It's good for the species. I think more, I wish more people would be individuals because I think when you act as a conformist, you do what everyone else is doing. Humanity misses out on an opportunity to gain a perspective that it didn't have before. That's why I hate conformity so much, and I really yeah. pissed off at this politically correct culture. Yes, there's also the extreme where they're policing speech to such a high level. And I'm wondering how are you dealing with political correctness in the world of comedy right now? Because 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when I was doing comedy. I was doing stuff that I'm so glad that people don't have cameras right now because the chances are I'd probably go viral and get off the stage. I came out of how I, yeah. I worked for Howard Stern, went right from Howard Stern, went right to comedy. I can't do that stuff I was doing back then. So how do you deal with it? And how? <laughs> well, yeah, I I think the most of what's happening with the Me Too movement is very important and is long overdue. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's tough to I think is uh, I feel like. For me personally, as a man, it's tough to even imagine what it's like living in a workplace where you are kind of constantly being demeaned, or if you, you know, choose to stand up against that, then you're basically punished, you know, or or not promoted because you're the woman that stood up against that. Um, and and so I think uh, I think it's a big step in the right direction. But as with anything, it can be taken too far or uh, you know, we can ig- uh, ignore I- – I hate when nuance is left out of a debate, and this goes for a lot of debates. So I think a discussion about whether, you know, someone saying something is the the same awful as a rape that took place, I think that discussion needs to be had and sometimes is not had uh, when, th- when this, you know, kind of starts to spiral to a place where it's like, yeah, that guy's a sleazeball and he said some dickish things. That's not equivalent to this other guy over here who has been outed for, you know, raping women or uh, sexually assaulting them. Like, let's agree both are bad, and let's also agree that there are different levels of bad. Um, so I, I, I hate when the nuance is left out of the conversation. But in terms of comedy and in terms of what I'm allowed to say, I, I, I still, I still try pretty hard to push the limits of like I feel like comedy does. It still needs to be an open field for uh, the things you can talk about, and I don't mind making an audience cringe if I feel that the the joke is structured in a way where the victim of the joke is the powerful or is the you know the those that you know run let's say the media or something, and the victim of the joke is not the powerless or is not the 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 person who's already beaten down. I mean, I, in, in my opinion, that's when something can quickly become offensive when it's a joke making fun of uh, those who are already beaten down or or those are already struggling. So I, I still try and push the limits a lot, but you are right that it 
you know, sometimes I just have to come to a conclusion that a joke, despite what I may believe uh, as to its uh, altruistic ideal behind it, too many people are going to misunderstand it and they're going to think that it's uh, truly offensive. And if you have so many people misunderstanding it, at some point you just got to be like, well, maybe the joke's not worth it. As I say something, I watch some of your comedy. I love it. I love the fact that you're edgy and comparing, if you compare Lee and you watch some of his other comedians, I, I, one thing I, I, I hate what passion is, clean comedians. I can't, can't see comedians that go up and say, ah, I'm in a relationship. Ah, you know, shut up. We heard, we heard yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But then you're up there yeah. and you're like, okay. And then you, I like how you transition. They go, by the way, um, there's this like, you know, bank that kind of runs everything. The plan's being run by these elites. And you, you're engaging people and you're making them laugh. I'm like wondering how do you find that you're able to successfully connect and communicate some of these ideas to people that are outside their comfort zones, that are outside what they've come to know. How do you, how you're able to do that? Because I think it, it can be challenging to talk to these, to talk to people about something that they have nothing about. So a lot of people don't even believe that, still believe that we're we're free. Like, oh, we're America, it's a free country. All right, we have the right, we have all these rights. It's like, we no, no, we don't. But here's why. So how do you communicate these truths to an audience uh, and make them laugh at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like I set out to try and sneak education into comedy, but it's it's ended up that way. That I uh, I do find that if you you know if you're laughing, people will often sit through things much longer if they're enjoying themselves in other ways uh, at the same time. Whether it's you know music uh, can sneak messages in or or something else, but you know all I want is is for for the people that aren't already agreeing with me. All I want is for them to start questioning things and start asking those questions. And, and they don't have to watch an episode and immediately go, oh, I, you know, I agree with every word he's saying. I just want them to go, well, I agree with that one. And, and why is the mainstream media ignoring that or, or actively not talking about that? And, and I feel like once you, <laughs> once you start asking a couple of those questions, it, it really opens everything up. And so in my view, I, I you know, I, I'd like, for my show, for the uninitiated, to be a bit of a spark that hopefully can light a, a, a bigger fire. But um, you, you know, and, and in terms of comedy and mixing a comedy and a message, it, it, there are times where you, you know you always walk in that line as to whether you're making you're covering a topic that is just too utterly depressing to to even though the comedy's not making fun of the you know if it's starving children the comedy's not making fun of the starving children it's making fun of something else May, let's say making fun of the the fact that we you know have 21 trillion dollars unaccounted for at the Is pentagon that pretty amazing and, I, I was and, telling my wife about that. She's like, $21 trillion? Yeah, I'm like, I, and I worry about when I can't find my car keys. I can't find $21 trillion. That's ridiculous. The national debt, of, uh, quote, unquote, is $20 trillion. Yeah, the debt is, yeah, it's under $20 trillion, yeah. Um, and, and it, it, yeah, it's insane. I wrote an article about it for a truth dig, and it's still on their most popular list, list after, like, three weeks or something. And it, it blew my mind to such a degree that even when I was writing it and I was researching it and I'm, you know, looking at what uh, this economist Mark Skidmore said, I'm looking at the DOD Inspector General reports, and I'm really like, no matter, it took me about five sources to, you know, the Forbes article to finally be like, I think this is actually twenty-one trillion dollars. <laughs> like, it took me a long time to even accept it because that amount of money is. Utterly insane. insane. It's, you know, the the GDP of of Britain is uh, two point six trillion. So, 
It's pretty great. In the movie, I acknowledge Dr. Stephen Greer. I want to bring, just bring it up again. He's talked about a lot of black budget programs that are being utilized for UFO research. And uh, you know, I, I'm wondering if that went there. But I wonder, what do you do? Where, where would the $21 trillion go? I figure that you would see an island somewhere, some kind of magic station. <laughs> where do you think it went? Well, it is over the course, not the, not that it's even possible to minimize $21 trillion, but it is over the course of like 20 years. So it, it's about, you know, a, a little over a trillion a year, and, and it, which is still an astronomical number. Um, if you make $40,000 a year, it would take you, uh, 20, uh, you know, uh, yeah, 25 or it's either 25 or 23 million years to make one trillion dollars that's how much one trillion dollars is so i i don't know where it where it goes i mean obviously a lot of it goes into like you know this the the latest fighter jet is supposed to cost a trillion dollars so a lot of it goes into stuff like that but uh i i think it's a very hard question to answer and i think that uh you know the the pentagon's finally being audited and it's about goddamn time and and i don't know that they're actually going to reveal the truth to us but it basically proves that our money is not like it's not the thing. We our money system is not what we think it is. It's a fiat currency. We can print as the most powerful country in the world. We can print whatever we want. And basically, they're doing that behind our backs without saying, "Hey, we're printing all the money we want." Yeah, just doing it. You know, you said earlier that you're an atheist. That uh, you know you don't particularly know or care or have any understanding about what happens beyond, but. What puzzles me, what I, what I find mysterious about you is the fact that here you are, you don't really engage these metaphysical or spiritual beliefs, yet you seem to have this drive that you want to help out other human beings, that you want to reveal the truth to other people, that you have this compassion for animals, and that you, you, you continually to want to push people, I guess, in, a, in what would be considered a moral direction. So what is the core of your moral compass? Where does that come from? What, what is this fire within you that drives you to do what you do? I don't know. To to me, to write it off as you know metaphysical, what it would be to to pass the buck, whether it were for something <laughs> something good you're doing or something bad. Oh, I don't know. But... I'm just curious. Like, where it comes from? Because a lot of yeah, we're, of we're, I, like, are rooted in spiritual. Some people say, well, you know, I'm by God. It's nothing to do organized religion. I believe that I'm, there's got to be much more than just being a human. But what is um, what drives you? What's that core value? What's the core morality? Where does it come from for you? I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's something deep within me that really gets uh, real, really is furious at those who are exploiting others the most, and those who are lying to us uh, to us the most. Um, I, I think, you know, I've never really put my finger on it, but I I know I had a, I've always had a, you know, like deep anger towards being lied to, like finding out, you, you know, and this started fairly young, like you know. 13 or something when you find out that the history books are wrong or at least parts of them are wrong and and, and the, you know your teacher is actively telling you a false history of stuff yeah. and it, it's like those type of things are just were so mind-blowing to me because these are the people you put your trust in you know the mainstream media is who a lot of people put their trust in and they're actively lying about so much the 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 breadth of the what's not being talked about on your television screen is truly mind-blowing and so that stuff makes me angry. It, it makes me angry that, you know, we could technologically and, as we've been talking about, uh, financially, economically, everybody on this planet could be food, fed, clothed, shelter, 
you know, living at least uh, an okay life, it wouldn't even be that tough. I mean, the U.N. estimated it would take $30 billion to end world hunger for the Pretty year. And, and $30 billion, and our military is misplacing trillions. So it's it wouldn't even be that tough to do. And to, to, to live inside a, a, an argumentative model where you never talk about that type of thing, to me, is laughable. I don't, and, it, and it makes me angry, and I, I don't know where the anger comes oh, from. I feel the same way, too. <laughs> I just don't understand why, why it doesn't happen. What are things, uh, you're on TruthDig. I go to TruthDig a lot. TruthDig.com, highly recommend visit. I love Chris Hedges. I've read his books. And Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he really is. He's somebody who we'd love to talk with at some point. But... Uh, how there are other people? I think that you, every once in a while you'll come across a celebrity who they don't they don't have to flat out say it, but you can tell that they're awake. Are there any celebrities that you can think of that are awake that are subtly pushing messages of liberty throughout uh, yeah. social media? Can you please tell us who they who you think they are? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to list a few, but some of them uh, they still at times fall for the kind of Democrat Republican paradigm. So. It doesn't mean that every one of them uh, doesn't sometimes say like, "Hey guys, uh, you got to get behind our Democrat and this or whatever." So there's still times they let me down. But you know, for uh, for celebrities, there are uh, many that that at least are willing to risk some of their following, some of their uh, movie roles or something to stand up about this stuff. Mark Ruffalo's great. Shailene Woodley. Uh, came on Redacted tonight a few times and was and was really uh, standing up about election fraud and stuff. And she truly is, you know, she went out to Standing Rock and got arrested at Standing Rock. Like oh, wow. she's standing up, Su- Susan Sarandon. Um, uh, who was the other one? Oh, Rosario Dawson. Um, and and then there's of course the the uh, like edgier ones like Henry Rollins and stuff like that. But I think you know they're kind of more front and center like. Uh, thwarting the system. Uh, Janine Garofalo was, you know, I still have massive respect for her. For She was just about the only celebrity, her and Michael Moore, during the initial invasion of Iraq in 2002 that were willing to, you know, go on Fox News, be berated, be berated by the country. To this day, she gets bomb threats at theaters. She's playing for what she, you know, for speaking the truth about Iraq. And it's it's like, you know, I will always have an immense respect for that, even if, you know, some of them may back off the political messaging because they, you know, start to get worried for their careers or I don't know what, what ends up happening ultimately. But but a lot of them are, you know, there, there are people out there that are doing impressive things. Adam McKay is another one. Deciding to make the big short as, you know, coming from a comedy world and deciding that showing the true exploitation of Wall Street um, and how it went down uh, was was a big step, I think, for for someone to do that. I mean, we also I see John Cusack. He seems like he's got he's got these flashes of time where he think he's fighting the system, and then all of a sudden uh, something political will happen. I think he, he plays right into the whole left right uh, yeah. paradigm. And then uh, I think there's Rob Schneider too. Rob Schneider actively talks about uh, the, the perils of vaccinations, and he talks about how he would never drink Aquafina water. I love that about him. He seems uh, he's he's very passionate. Yeah. A lot of other people. Yeah. Are, um, are there any books that you recommend people read that could o- open up their consciousness? Let's say books that may not necessarily be politically slanted, but books that are generally good for a person's critical thinking skills that would open their mind up to thinking and discovering the world for themselves. 
Well, th- this one certainly does count as political, but it reads like a James Bond novel, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins, really right. helped me understand how the how debt and how the economies around the world work, and uh, it's it's truly an exciting book to read. Um, and and then you know I I also think Catch Twenty Two is pretty pivotal pivotal for me, probably because I didn't read it when I you know was fourteen when it's kind of tough to get through, but I read it at like 25, and, you know, it, it takes war, and it's the best satire of war I've ever seen, where it just is mocking how ridiculous our wars are, and, you know, it's all, it, it, a lot of the things that were like kind of supposed to be jokes in Catch-22 are now reality, <laughs> or 1984, same thing with 1984, right? Oh, it's um, a yeah, they're, they're supposed to be jokes, and now, like, we, we back when we were more actively fighting in Afghanistan, we were paying the Taliban to let our trucks through on the mountain passages so that we could fight the Taliban. We were paying them to fight them. Like, it, it, it's, you can't even write a, a humor book that <laughs> – we're beyond satire. We're beyond satire. <laughs> well, it's pretty And uh, the last question I have is, is there any particular word or phrase that you think – Every person should adapt in their vocabulary, say on a regular basis, that is a true affirmation of liberty, a true affirmation of the right to be an individual, and a true affirmation of the resistance to a seem-to-be-inevitable collapse of tyranny upon the entire globe. What can people say or do as far as a word or phrase that would keep their spirits uh, going strong on a regular basis, that would trigger them to always being in that uh, mood of you know, accepting their individual? individuality well uh it's not that exciting but i always say at the end of my show keep fighting but uh i think that's a good one to have in your head but it's something that elucidates that a little more is uh and i don't know if he was the first to say it but i know hedges said the quote i don't fight fascism because i think i'll win i fight fascism because it's fascism so, and I think that can go for a lot of things. You know, I don't fight the corporate rule because I think I'll win. I fight because it's corporate rule. So it's it, you don't have to think that you're going to win this battle tomorrow um, to 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 keep at it. And and the other thing I think a lot of people need to realize is that no one, no small uh, small act that is hoping to create large change ever thinks it's going to win, the movement doesn't think it's going to win, the people don't think they're going to win, until they do. So it's like the civil rights movement, you know, was a, a, and a- actively was a decade, and I'm sure as they're sitting on those, at those lunch counters getting beaten and spit at, they're not thinking, yep, we're going to win any day now. No, they're thinking awesome. this, is, this is borderline hopeless, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and I, I think that's what you got to think. Well. Mr. Lee Cap, I want to thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing wisdom. Again, Lee is an American uh, stand-up comedian. He's a writer, actor, activist. He's host of the weekly comedy news program called Redacted Tonight with Lee Camp on RT America. He's also on tour right now. You've got to see him. He's coming to your town. Learn more about Lee by going to his website at LeeCamp.com. That is LeeCamp.com. Mr. Camp, great honor to have you with us today, sir. Hey, such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was that was really great. You're you're a great interviewer. Thank I do a lot so. of interviews, and and you uh, you're one of the best. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of the Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Mr. Lee Camp, and special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor. 
It's Lisa Kaza and Ms. Constance Tellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening.